We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. All right, turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 16. Now let me say something as we're turning. I, I in no way am professing to you that I am a scholar when it comes to Revelation and all of these things. So uh, I want to say up front, you know, so that you understand that what we do is study. There, there's so much symbolism. And just to study the symbolism, is it's, it's taken me weeks to understand some of the symbolism alone, just in what, what it means. I was, and, and then there's things that John saw that he had no clue or no idea what they were about. And I was just talking to Jason before service, and he was, we were talking about how that, you know, as one of the angels let, let loose, there was a locust that had a sting out of its tail. And, it, you know, it flew like a locust, but the sting was like a scorpion. And you think, what in the world was he looking at? But then you think of the, the helicopters that we use, how they look like, if you look at them, they, they look like a flying locust, but there's a sting that comes out the back of them that stings like a scorpion. So, you know, is that what he saw? Did he see his helicopter with a gun in the back of it? There's all of these things that you try to, in your mind, say, okay, as, in the time that we're living, what, what is displayed in our lives? And so I'm just saying that to say, as we go through this, you know, uh, one of the main things we do is we continue to study, we continue to look at. And the biggest thing I'm finding in Scripture is that Scripture always agrees in itself. If it's outside of agreement, you probably just need to pass that on by. And so we're going to kind of talk about something. We're going to, we're going to talk about Armageddon tonight, what, what Armageddon's about, what it is. Uh, one of the difficult things about studying Revelation is, is you have to understand in the book of Revelation, there's three points of time in Revelation as you're reading. And to decipher what point of time you're in is probably the most difficult. The three points in time are things that have happened, things that are happening, and things that will happen. When you read Revelation, that's what you find. You find out in Revelation things that have transpired. You find about things that are transpiring. And you find about things that will transpire. And so putting those in there, which is another thing, when you're reading Revelation, a mistake people make is they, tra- they think things are in chronological order. They're not in chronological order. They think they're, they have, they're numerical. They're not in numerical order. All of these things. And so we're just going to talk about some different things. But tonight, I want, I want to talk about, uh, about Armageddon, what that's about. Because that's, that's, you know, how many movies have been made? Armageddon, this is Armageddon, Armageddon, that. And Armageddon is always, when you see movies made, the, the general consensus is Armageddon is the end of the world. When in fact, Armageddon is the beginning of another thousand years. So erase from your mind that Armageddon is the end. Armageddon is actually the beginning. It, it, it moves us into the next dispensation. So uh, there are times of things that were, times of things that are, and times of other things that come. And, and that's why all Scripture, Old and New Testament, have to be examined when you're talking about end-time events. If you just examine current or you just examine what's read in, in Revelation and you don't examine Old Testament prophecy, you're, you're going to miss some stuff and you're going to mistranslate some stuff. So uh, as well as understand, there's certain phrases, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the returning of the Lord, the second coming. Those phrases have consequential meaning 
there, you know, people will lump those together, but the day of the Lord is not the same as the second coming of the Lord. All of those things. We've talked about this, but as we go into this, let's just keep that in mind. So rather than trying to decide whether the catching away of the... Some, some people are pre-trib, some people are mid-trib, some people are post-trib. So rather than try to figure that out tonight, and, and it's understand this, Armageddon will be at the end of tribulation. It'll be at the end. So, you know, some people are, believe that we will be in Armageddon. Some people believe that we will escape it in the mid. And then some people believe that we'll never see any of that in the beginning. So we'll kind of talk about that as we talk about the entire battle of Armageddon. So Revelation 16 and 16 describes for us what happens after God pours out his wrath. Previous to that, you see God's wrath being poured out. And that wrath are plagues that kind of permeate the narrative. They're, they're plagues that God pours out of, uh, upon the earth. And so he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Now, most of the Old Testament was written originally in Greek. But, but John uses the Hebrew word, the Hebrew to Armageddon. Uh, Armageddon means Mount Megiddo. Mount Megiddo. So although we don't know the exact location of Armageddon as the battle is spoken of in Scripture, we can surmise from it, it's, we know if it's, if, it's, if it's the Mount Megiddo, we can surmise it's going to be in a hilly place. So there's some things just by name we can surmise. It's going to be in a hilly place uh, or a mountainous place. Uh, it'll take place in an area because of that there, there will be valleys. Because where you have mountains, you have valleys. So just some things to surmise for a little bit. It stands, when you read about this battle, you read that there will be blood up to the bridles of horses. So that tells you that there, in this battle, apparently there is a valley here, that valley, that Megiddo, that is in all of this mountain area. And there's a reason I'm, I'm saying this. There's a reason I'm leading down this line. So uh, a, a lot of scholars have this battle about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. It's the area of, of that part of the world where all of this descriptive nature is in, in Revelation, mountainous with valley. And so... This particular area is about 60 miles north uh, of Jerusalem. And so, as, as well, go back to, there are always things that are types and shadows, but there's always things that go through in Old Testament that move into New Testament that are consistent. There, there are things that are always consistent. So, so there were 12 tribes, right, of, of Israel, right? And so how many apostles were there? So there's consistency from old to new. So just, just looking at some consistency in the Old Testament, this particular area that we're talking about, the 60 mile, is the same place that Barak fought the Canaanites. The, you know, they, they, they were, the Canaanites were a very depraved people. And so when you look in Judges 4, this is the same area where there was this huge fight, this huge war with the Canaanites. As well, it's the same area where Saul and his sons perished when they were fighting the Philistines. The same area. That's in 1 Samuel 31. In the same area, Pharaoh, it's, it's N-E-C-H-O, but it's pronounced Nekah. He's the Pharaoh of Egypt. And, and Egypt had a very tumultuous uh, time with Israel at the time of this Pharaoh. This is the guy, this is the Pharaoh that kills jo Josiah in Chronicles. It's the same area. It's the same place. And you can go on and on and find that this particular area has some major contributions to Israel. And so we know that when we get to Armageddon, that's what Armageddon is about. It's another battle against Israel. 
It's another fight about Israel. It, now, it makes sense that the battle plays out in this location just due to the history. If you just look at the history. But it, it always symbolizes. Here's the thing. When you look back, the symbolism in it, in it is that it's a holy people that's being attacked or being approached by an enemy of darkness. And that's exactly what Armageddon is going to be about. A holy people, a people that have decided, you know what, we worship God, they're going to be attacked by this darkness. So when does this battle happen? After tribulation, after tribulation, into tribulation, when does it happen? It's, it's, it's the end of the tribulation time. The great tribulation. Now, let's verify that because the Bible speaks, and in Revelation it talks about a group of people that came out of great tribulation. But when you read the description, you find out that it's a group of people that uh, it's, it's the church. It's those whose robes, those whose robes were bathed or washed in the blood. So you remember, now let's go back, because remember we talked about dispensations. Let's go back to Matthew 24 when Jesus is talking to his he said that great tribulation was going to come upon and his followers. Great tribulation. Because we, we use that term, the great tribulation, when in fact there's been great tribulation from the beginning. But we use the term, the, the great tribulation, was just key to, to help us understand that seven-year period. But it's not really descriptive in its term, because great tribulation, look at the beginning in the early church, what happened? Would you not think that they went through great tribulation? We're not going through great tribulation. We're going through tribulation. We're not in America, but as a church around the world, we're still going through tribulation. But in the beginning, great tribulation, that's the reason that some denominations believe that all of this we're talking about now has already happened. There are denominations that believe the Great Tribulation happened right after 70 A.D. when uh, Jerusalem was sacked and when the church came into being and the great, you know, but the problem was the coming of Jesus. That, that messes up their thinking. And so, right, right. So, well, there are some that believe it that we're in the millennial reign, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's when you start researching this, you, you start going, Wow. But then because the Scripture doesn't agree, and that's where you can say, well, you know, because of that, the second coming is when Jesus puts his feet. Now, Jesus hadn't put his feet on the earth. It, it hadn't happened. So, uh, so when is it, it has always seemed to people that the Battle of Armageddon, you ever, we think of the Battle of Armageddon, but you think of it, well, it's kind of far off. You know, kind of growing up, you kind of think, well, that's something that's really going to happen. It's really powerful, but it's kind of far off in the but, you know, it could be more in the near future than we, you know. And here, here's the reason it seems that way. It's because as far as Armageddon goes, we have no point of time, uh, reference of time to work from. When you never have a point of reference of time to work from, everything seems distant. That's why Jesus said when you see these things, he said, now listen, there is going to be a point in reference of time when you see these particular things happen. Look up because your redemption draweth nigh, but understand what's about to happen. And, and, and he gave different analogies of why, you know, you should be full of oil. You know, there was the, there was the really wise and there was the really foolish. There was always being ready and being full. He said because 
If you're not, if you're not understanding, being full of the oil, as we understand, is being full of the Holy Ghost, but understand that there's a purpose of being full of the Holy Ghost, not to just be full of the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost gives us, leads us, and guides us into all truth. It gives us of wisdom, all of those things, to understand what's going on in front of us. Because Jesus said, you guys, you, you can watch, and you see the clouds coming, and you know by watching that cloud, man, that, I'm looking at watching, you know, that thing is going, rain's going to be here in about 25 minutes. He said, you understand that, but you can't get the spiritual stuff. And he said, you, but that, that's the purpose. The purpose of the Holy Ghost in our life is to see the cloud coming. And when you see it, you start looking, here it comes. And you can almost, he said, just like you know when the rain's going to get there, you, you, nobody knows the day or the hour, but you can almost pinpoint when these things are going to happen because you see what's going on. So uh, let's keep going here. We, we know that it's the end of the Great Tribulation. We know that. So depending on your belief of pre, mid, or post-rapture in Tribulation, you, you, then you can surmise your time. What do I mean by that? Well, if you're a pre, you know that when, when the rapture happens in seven years, it's, if you're a mid, you, if you think it's a mid, then in, when that happens, it's three and a half years. Or if you're a post, and there are those that are post that believe that the rapture and uh, Armageddon and all that all happens at the same time. That, that the church will go through the entire tribulation period. So, throwing these things out, because so, I'm getting some looks like... Uh, Revelations, let, let's talk about something that's real important in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, and we've talked about this before, chapters 1 through 3, Jesus through John the Apostle, speaks to the seven churches. Read one through three, you see it. He speaks to the seven churches of Asia. And so he's not just talking about the particular ones, but the seven church ages. Each one of them, each church that he speaks to, is an age of the church and the growth of the church. And so there's seven of them, and in the end, and the seventh one is the Laodicean church. That's the final end before the end for the church age. So there's a reference in, in chapters 1 through 3 of when the church will go through these stages, and that last one, Laodicea, is the final stage of the church, and then it's all over. And so if you understand what the Laodicean church is, then you know where you're at, right? Starting with chapter 4, going all the way through up to chapter 20, God changes, the writer, John, John changes what's being given to him, and he doesn't speak to the church. He starts speaking to Israel. And so another problem that people have is they will take what God is speaking in those chapters and pin it to the first three when God stops speaking to the church and starts speaking to Israel. So, so we understand that there's an, remember we talked about the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled? So there's a point in time when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. That word fulfilled is complete, it's over, it's done its thing. What is the time of the Gentiles? It's the, it's the revelation that, that the uh, prophet received of the different, the gold, silver, bronze, uh, iron, and then the iron with clay, the statue. And it's the different ages of the Gentiles and their ruling of the world. In other words, the time of the Gentiles is the, the arena of time that the Gentiles rule the world. That's going to come to an end. Well, the Gentiles will not rule the world. So there's an end to that. That's why we're talking about Armageddon. 
because Armageddon is the end of, of, of the rule of the Gentile. It's the stop. It's the end. Remember we talked about this? Things aren't bam, bam, bam. There, there's transition time. And you go back to, you know, there was a seven-day transition time from the time that, that God said get in the ark until the time the flood came. Yeah, there, there's, there was, there were, you know, hey, can, can I find ten? Can I find, is there one righteous? There was a continuum of time before God said, look, go get Lot, get the family, and get out because this is over. But there was a time of conversation. Now, we, we in our mind, think, they, okay, can I have one? Can I have, but you know what? He tried to find, he went back to the city, couldn't find it, came back and talked to God, went back to the city, couldn't find him, came back. There's a period of transition of time. And it's the same thing, and that's what, again, what this tribulation period is about. It's the transition of time that takes us from when the church age, when the church is gone, to the end of the Gentile age. Does that make sense? Okay, let's keep going. So as you get into the next few chapters after chapter 3 in Revelation, you find the one that's set up on the throne, and then you find the 24 seats that are at the throne, and you find the 24 elders that are sitting on the seats. And so remember, there is so much symbolism here, but there's the thing about God that's very interesting. When he uses numbers in Scripture, they're consistent all the way through. The number 12 is consistent all the way through the Bible. The number 12 in Scripture, uh, it translates into authority or completion. Authority or completion. That's what the number 12 means in Scripture. So when you look at the 24 uh, seats, you find there are 24 elders. How many? Scripture is divided into two Old and New Testament. So how many Old Testament is from Israel? How many tribes are from Israel in the Old Testament? Twelve. And so how many apostles? Again, twelve. So what you're looking at is how God says, okay, from old to new in, in, in this setting that you're finding is God covers the span of time all the way through Old and New Testament. That's why they're there. And we'll talk about later what they do. Not tonight, but we'll talk about later what these elders, because there's a particular thing these elders do. It's, 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 it's very strange. Chapter 5 of Revelation describes the book of the seven seals. Now, we could spend hours just talking about what each seal was. We're not going to do that. But when you get to verse 5, it says, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who prevailed and is worthy to open the seals. If you read that chapter, oh, is there anybody here that can open these seals and unveil these seals? And they, there was sadness. No, there's not. And the angel said, listen, wait a minute, wait, 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 don't, don't worry. There is one that is worthy to open the seals. He, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root. Uh, and we know who that's speaking of, right? We know that's speaking of Jesus Christ. And so chapter 6 speaks about opening those seals and the great day of God's wrath that's to come. Chapter 7, I'm just kind of doing a quick chapter 7, then speaks of four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. Now, for you, you know, flat earthers, he, this, this is... <laughs> There's not true, but the, we understand what the four corners are. If you look it up, you see it. It's from all everywhere on the globe. So these four angels are standing in place, encompassing the whole globe of the earth. And there's an angel that comes from the east and speaks to them because they're about to do harm to the earth. And he says, before you hurt the earth, 
before you hurt the earth, there, there, there is a group that has to be sealed in their forehead. Now, the word forehead here, it, it met upon, means countenance. <clears throat> There's a lot of people that are worried about the mark of the beast, where you get, you're going to get a mark in your forehead or your right hand. Forehead is your countenance. Right hand is your authority and power. There, you know, for the longest people were afraid they were going to put a barcode in your stamp you. But understand, you know, there's the symbolism here has to be understood to understand some of the progresses of things that are going to happen. And so we understand this. Now, in the time we're talking about here, it's, it's chapters later before it even talks about the mark of the beast and taking the mark and all those things. So, so in, in chapter 7, he said there's a, group of, there's a group that needs to be sealed. And the number of this is a fascinating number. When you look in there, he said he, he names off the 12 tribes of Israel, and there's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Now, there's a denomination that says their denomination has the 12, the 144,000. And because uh, I had one talk to me, I was talking, and I said, well, is there more than 144,000 in your group? He said, yeah. I said, well, why, why are you wanting me? You don't need me now. You, you got enough. And he quit talking because he knew I was being facetious. And Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, what do we do now? So like, here we go with this number 12 again. This number, what is 12? What, do you remember what 12 means? Authority. Completion. It means completion. So, and there's a reason I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on this here because we've had a discussion in the past few weeks about who will and who won't and this and that and why. And so this leads to Armageddon. And so these 144,000 come from the 12 tribes. Now, is, is this, uh, an ex- is, is God giving us an exact number of people? Or again, is this symbolism? So we're not, we don't know that this is an exact number, 12,000 of the 12 tribes, 144,000. We do know this. They are of a particular race. They're Jewish, and they're of the 12 tribes. So we know that's a fact. So we know that there's going to be a selective group here of this particular. You see what God's doing here? After the rapture, I'm a, I'm a priest, so I'm just going to. After the rapture, the, the, the time of the Gentiles is not completed. That happens in Armageddon, but understand something. When the rapture happens and the spirit is lifted out of here, then there's no cause for me as a Gentile to, to question whether or not what I've been taught in the past is right or wrong. There's no, because that's what the Holy Ghost does for me. We don't, we don't, God, God in the beginning, you remember, Adam lived in, in innocence, then he lived in conscience. And conscience didn't last, work very long. We can't live by our conscience. And so there has to be something to, and that's what the Holy Ghost does. It spurs our conscience. And so when the Holy Ghost is gone, there won't be anything to spur the conscience. But there is going to be people after the rapture that is going to be select of God. They are not going to fall. They're not going to continue or have a continuum in this guy, the Antichrist, and worship him. The, It's interesting because when you go from chapter 7, you hear about the 144,000 again in chapter 14. And, and it's very measurable. So, so it appears that after you know, chapter 3, God's focus is off the church and on the Jews. 
The reason I brought this up in chapter 7 was so we understand that God has a focus. Why is that? Because God never starts something that he doesn't complete. And God started with the Jew. He started with them, and he's going to complete it with them. It's going to be an end. He's going to complete it. He, he, he gave them an opportunity. They didn't, they, they didn't as a whole, as a group, his select, receive Jesus as the Messiah. But in the end, he gives them the completion, the end, the opportunity. Is that? After the rapture, God, God sends them a strong delusion that they would believe a lie. You understand you're talking about the Gentile arena. So that's the Gentile arena. That doesn't mean there won't be Jews that don't, because there will be. But, but here's the thing. The thing that the Jews understand is that there is no man that could ever be God. That's why Jesus wasn't received. That's why the Antichrist was going Because you understand this about the Antichrist. If you know anything about Antichrist, he tries to duplicate every single thing Jesus did to the T. And so, that, that's why, and so what will happen is in, in, that, in that transition period, which is another, this could be a long, in the transition period uh, of, of what we know as the, the tribulation time is when the Antichrist says, okay, uh, boy, I need to go into a depth of this that I don't know that I have. You un, you read in Scripture where there's a there's the harlot, the beast, and Antichrist. Okay, the Bible speaks of them as being the spirits, just like they're the seven spirits of the churches, the seven angels. There's there's a spirit of harlotry. What what's a harlot? Let's, let's get down. What's a harlot? Huh? Streetwalker. Streetwalker. Yeah, that's not, that's our idea. But what what is a harlot? We think a harlot is a streetwalker, a prostitute. But what is a harlot? Doesn't have to be a streetwalker. Doesn't have to be a prostitute. A harlot is 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 a woman who doesn't stay true to her man, who sleeps with another man. That's a harlot. Now, there's a reason that this person or this individual or this spirit is called a harlot because it's a reference to the religion of the world and how there was a run true God, but, you know, God's quote-unquote people started sleeping around with other gods. That's, that's a little straight to the point, but... Yeah, and, and so that, that's even within the... The guide, the guise of Christianity, because you, when you when you go outside of Jesus Christ, if He's not the only way, then now you're sleeping with someone else. It, so, so the, this harlot is 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 a spirit or a system of religion that actually will be destroyed, be destroyed. The problem is, it's the Antichrist that takes care of that. He becomes the absolute in religion. So. The Bible says this harlot actually rides the back of the beast. The beast is the, 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 is the seven and ten. Seven heads, ten horns. When you, when you research it, 
what you find is that you've got seven countries that have ten kings. And so this religious thing, the harlot, rides the back of, what do you think of when somebody's riding somebody's back? You know, they're, they're, this, this system is carrying this religion. At, at a given point, the beast throws the harlot off its back. And at that point, Antichrist says, now you all worship me. See how this kind of clicks together? So, so this, this set of nations that have these kings, and again, this is not bam, bam, bam. You have to understand this is a process of time. Now, the, the ten nations are Gentile nations, or the seven nations are Gentile nations. The ten are Gentile kings. And so there's a process you can look into and look into the process of Christianity where Christianity went from being pure, but because let's be honest, Hinduism, Buddhism, none of those, those are not, they've never been connected to God. They've never been connected as part of God's kingdom, ever. Only Christianity. Judaism in the beginning, only Christianity. At some point, Christianity became a harlot. Now, a lot of people look at the Catholic Church and say the Catholic Church is the harlot here, but this is a spirit that, it, that it's not a particular denomination, but it's a spirit within the Christian people. That's pretty strong here. This is pretty, it's, it's people who have left their first love. You, you know, you remember Scripture talks about having left your first love. So when you leave your first love, you go find another love, right? So we, we understand that without getting descriptive. And so understand what's happening here. It's this process that goes through uh, up to Armageddon. This is what creates the idealism for Armageddon. Because what happens is Antichrist destroys this religious system and says, I am the religious system. This group of countries and kings says and bows to Antichrist. And so, you know, at this, in this three and a half, in the middle of this, and then three and a half years when this is set up is when this group of Jews that we, whether it's actually 144,000 or it's the completion, is it God just saying, listen, you know, by 12 completion, by the thousands of completion and every tribe that I chose, I'm going to complete what I started. There are going to be those, there are going to be those who at the end of tribulation, because there are a group of people at the end of tribulation, the Bible says that we'll put on robes. What is it? I'm going to run out. I'm not even halfway through. The symbolism of putting on robes in Scripture has to do with kingship. The, the robe, remember when, the, what happened when the uh, prodigal came back? Put on a robe. Okay, so that, that has to do with kingship. And so these will have robes put on them. Now, there are others in Scripture in Revelation that have robes that have already been washed white as snow, washed in the blood. It's not these that are at the end of tribulation that put on robes. It doesn't say anything about them being washed white as snow at the end of tribulation. But those that have, and there's a descriptive, and I'm not even going to get close to getting there. Right after it talks about the 12,000 in this the 12,000 of each tribe, it talks about a multitude, multitude that no man can number. And people pin these two together. But when you look at it, you see exactly what it is. Because it's, 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 a, it's a multitude that have been washed 
white as snow, that are at the throne. Now, the 144,000, if that's the number, at, are not at the throne. They're in Israel. This multitude is the group that have been washed. Who is the group that's been washed white as snow? It's, it's the church. And they're with him. And they, because Jesus hasn't returned, that's who that, that multitude that no man can number is up there. I mean, I'm going to use high, up and down just so we can have relative. And so what's going to happen at, at Armageddon is that the Scripture says those that were washed in the blood will return with Jesus. And as he sets his feet, those that were washed in the blood will watch with, in glory and amazement what Jesus does. We do nothing but watch what happens. And it's the destruction of those kingdoms. It's the destruction of those kings. It, it, it's taking that, the beast, the Antichrist, the beast being that system, the Antichrist being that person, and locking them up. It's locking the devil up for a thousand years, all of those things. So I guess we're going to have to skip next week So the, and probably the next week. There's a fullness in this that, you know, we have to go through the fullness or the, the, the deal about Armageddon makes no sense whatsoever. Suffice to say, I've got three minutes, so let's just, I mean, let me stop not go any further because I've got a lot going right here on right, right now. Just, just suffice it to say right now as we go through this is that what God wants us to understand as, as his church right now is that we see these things already happening. These things have already been taking place. This is not a bam, bam, bam thing that's going to happen. This, this stuff is already going on. So, you know, understand that I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna say this. I'm not a prophet. I'm just gonna say this. You, if you think this year was bad, we got a taste physically of what the spiritual aspect is gonna be next year because of the change that's gonna happen in our country. There will be things that happen in our country that we're not gonna believe, to be quite frank with you. We're not gonna believe this is going on, and it won't be good for the church. It won't be because, again, there are signs towards the end that Jesus spoke about. Remember in Matthew 24, there were things he talked about, but then it was, there's things Jesus talked about that have to do with the church, and there's things Jesus talked about that have to do with the Gentiles. And so those are things relative to what's going to happen. These are the clouds coming. These are the clouds coming. These are the clouds we see. Oh, okay, get ready. G G Your redemption's drawing nigh. It's coming near. Here it comes. Be ready. So... Anybody have, I, I know I've got a lot swimming out there, uh, to stay afloat, can you? <laughs> it's very possible. The thing that, because the word mark in the Greek actually means statue, it actually means tattoo, it actually has various meanings, so that mark being, and here's, here's the thing. The reason that I don't think it's physical is this, is because the use of the word forehead and, and right hand, when you look them up, their use those are those are sim, symbols. Jesus doesn't sit. Let's see if I can. Okay, here's the throne, and God's sitting here, and and or God's sitting here, and Jesus is sitting on his right side. Th that's symbolism. There, God, God as spirit has no right, left, up or down. It's symbolism. So it's the same right hand that's here. It's the authority and power. 
And so when someone receives this mark in their right hand, there's an authority and power involved. Yeah. So could it be something physical that happens? Possible. Mm -hmm. So I guess part of this depends on if you're pre, post, or mid. Because the mark of the beast that we're going to see, those that receive not the mark, I'm going to get ahead of myself here, so I'm not going to do it. There is a group of people that don't receive the mark, that are beheaded, that their blood is shed. There's a particular, particular, and we'll talk about that next time. I was going to talk about it tonight. But there's a particular group that it talks about here. Because people think everything's chronological in Scripture, they're crossing things over. When, in fact, you go from chapter 7 to chapter 14 before you talk about this group again, there's a lot going on between here. That doesn't mean that that's going on between here. Is that, does that, am I confusing this more than I'm? It means that there are several things that are happening, not necessarily in chronological order, and you have to understand who it's happening to to understand what's going on. Because what's happening to, to certain people then, Gentiles, is not the same thing that's happening to Jews. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. For the, what you will find in the middle of the three and a half years is that what happens between that and the time of Armageddon is there will be those Jews that say, Jesus. He was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. That that was correct. We missed it. That group. But when we look at it, you're going to see it. When we look at it in the scripture, you're going to see it. Well, now that makes perfect sense. Whatever we go through as the church, Israel in the wilderness experienced a grace from God yeah. that they experienced never before and never after that. When the church was dispersed by Titus out of Jerusalem, there was a grace of God that was upon them. When Paul talks about the grace of God being sufficient, there's two aspects to grace. There's the grace that has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and live righteously, soberly in, in, in Christ Jesus. And there is a grace that is a strength Paul said God's grace was sufficient for him to deal with the thorn that was in the flesh. There will be a grace if the church goes through any part of the tribulation or all of it. Mm -hmm. There will be a grace that comes from God available to us that we'll be able to to handle whatever comes without without any problem. We but, saw that in the early church. Exactly. There was a look what happened to them. But there was a grace that God gave them to go past what was happening. Exactly. God only gives a grace if you need it. Yeah. 
Right. It's not a yeah. everybody swim. Yeah. yeah. So I have a question for because we all we all agree that things that happen in the natural are a reflection of what's spiritual. Right. So for what's happening with us right now and the change that's happening naturally, do y'all do y'all think that there is a specific type of grace that we're under that's about to change with this new dispensational time that's coming or this new season? Or have we not even touched the 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 outskirts of it yet because everything that we're talking about with the tribulation and everything that's happening, because it's I don't want to say far off, but because it's still stuck time or there's there's still times that have to pass. Like the grace that, that we're under now. Do y'all think that it's part of that the new dispensation or is there a totally different grace that we're gonna cover to go into what's coming like naturally right now? Yeah, there, I mean, I there, there is a a dispensation of grace that the church has never received because right. it has never needed it. Right. But whatever we face in the future, you know, God will grant you the grace to mm -hmm. be able to deal with it. Grace is as you need, not as you want or as, yeah, I, I think a big mistake that we've probably done in, in, in this church age is say, okay, God just poured out all this grace and everybody just jump in the pool. When in fact, it's a to understand grace first, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Yeah. I mean, I was going to, I was going to reference that and the grace that he received was not just a grace that put him on the ark, but it was a grace to deal yeah. with the circumstances and all of the uh, criticism and the laughter and being made the butt of the jokes of the people while he was building something yeah. for which there had never been the event. Right. He had the grace to deal with that. And, and there, there is a grace from God. You know, there have been periods in my life that I've been aware that God has visited me with a grace for what I was de dealing with during that period of time. Once I got through it, the grace lifted. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Like you said, there's a grace for Noah. Noah found grace because he wasn't dealt with the, with the rest of the people. That's a, that's a type of grace. There's a grace to go through the, the ridicule and everything else that he had, which was a strength. Which is, so that's, that's a good description. And then, you know, the grace for that time for whatever happened, and then that took the grace left. You know, that makes sense. Right. I mean, Paul, Paul, you know, Paul had the grace to deal with the thorn, and he also had a grace to deal with his execution. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. he, the passage of Scripture that leads up to his, his execution is very, very positive, very victorious. You know, the time of my departure is hand. You know, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And he talked a lot about suffering and what he endured for the gospel's sake. There was a dispensation that Paul had. You know, I've, I've often said I could not have dealt with what Paul dealt yeah. with, but I could have because if I had been called to be Paul, there would have been a grace given to me that's not given to me right now. Right. But when we, whatever we go through, I mean, God is faithful. God is faithful. And, uh, you know, he is going to visit the church with a phenomenal amount of, of 
resolve and grace and, and faith. You know, our, our faith is not nearly at the level that it's going to be right. for yeah. what we go through. That's it, yeah. I mean, the, church, the, the yeah. best days of the church are ahead of it. Mm-hmm. The, most, the most difficult days and the most trying days are ahead of us. But the greatest days of, of, of the church are not behind us. It didn't happen at Pentecost. Right. It, it's going to happen in our generation. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah. It's going to be phenomenal. And it's going to build Hallelujah. such a strength yeah. and a faith and, and a hope in our lives. I mean, we're going to walk on water. I mean, yeah. we're going to do things that we never thought about we could do. We, we thought we had faith. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the, by, by grace are you saved through faith. Grace is not a thing that, that saves you. It is the thing that God gives you so that you have the ability to be saved. And, and uh, you know, and, and the church is going to find out who's in this for the mm-hmm. long haul yeah. and, and who's just in it for the ride. Yeah. Because when it comes, those that do not have that absolute confidence and faith in God, mm-hmm. they're going to, you know, they're going to get washed out. Yeah. But with that, there's going to come a revival. You yeah. know, the latter house is going to be greater than the former house. Right. And the latter rain is mm. going to be greater than the former rain. Yeah. I mean, we're we're looking at, you know, uh, <laughs> just incredible, awful. You know, he, he said to the prophet, if I told you what was what was ahead of you, you couldn't believe it. You yeah. wouldn't believe it. And if God could show us what's ahead of the church, would you say it can't be? Not not with the political situation of what it is right. and where we see America headed, but the church has always thrived mm-hmm. in persecution, always. Yeah, just think about how a groom treats his bride. Yeah. Not, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes grace is in the problem. The right. problem is part of the grace. It, it, that's how we grow. Yeah, yeah, but you, we're so, we're so afraid of problem and hurt when when that can't be our, you know, th- that's what that grace is for to get you past that fear of problem and hurt. And another aspect of it in Egypt, when all the plagues came, it didn't happen in Goshen, where right? Where the, where the it, Jews were, Israelites were. It all happened in the lands of the Egyptians, where the Egyptians were. Right. And I just believe we go through the tribulation, it's going to affect everybody, but it's not going to affect the church the way it's going to affect if we yeah. have to go through it. There's going to be that same kind of, of covering from God. You know? I, yeah, I'm, I'm like you, Bishop. If we go through all seven years, I believe we go through it in the ark. I believe we go through yes, it in sir. Goshen. Yes, God, God's taking care of his people the whole time. Yes, Will some of us be put to death? No doubt about it. Well, why would there be any different? Those who be put to death are those yeah. whose faith yeah. and confidence in God can handle it. Mm-hmm. God knows who that is. He does. He knows who that is. He does. So. Yeah, this, the thing, and I, and I appreciate your openness, Bishop. The thing we have to do is escape the fear of this. This is not a thing to be frightful of whatsoever. No, no. This is the most glorious time that could ever happen. 
to us as human beings. Man, to be in this arena. Down my spine. Yeah, yeah. As I, as I talk. What? What we're going to experience and see? Absolutely. Absolutely. Bring it on, devil. Bring yeah, it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring it on. We, we already know what's going to. That's yeah, it. Yeah. That's it. You don't we have a chat. You know. We win. Yeah. Yeah. So, awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? Go home excited. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather. And you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.